0: Well, here we are in week number three of the storms of life. Week number one, if you remember, I talked about unexpected storms. You know, sometimes you're not planning on it, and it just happens. Uh, life happens, the storm comes in, and, uh, you know, there's not much you can do about it. The, the storms are going to, uh, even the unexpected storms are going to come into your life. Last week, I shared with you and talked about self-inflicted storms. You know, a lot of times, we engineer the, uh, the storms ourselves through our foolishness or disobedience. Well, this week I want to change gears and I want to talk about a topic of unseen storms. And what really brought this to mind for me was an, um, a conversation I had with my youngest son, Caleb. And This was a couple of years ago. We were living in Florida and he was just about to move back up to Illinois. And so uh, I took him out to dinner. Uh, we went to Ruby Tuesdays, one of our favorite places to eat. And during that time, and after the dinner, we just sat and we talked for a, a couple of hours. And in that conversation, um, and, and in this season of our life, Caleb and I had gone through some challenges. I don't know if you have adult children, but sometimes as a parent, you still think they're 12 years old, and you you, you treat them that way. And and, and actuality, they're they're a, a grown man or a grown young man, and you know, there's a different way to interact. And, and so I, I wasn't doing a good job with that. And so our, our relationship was very stressed during that uh, season. And so we were talking about that season and and um, some of the interactions that we had that, that were good and, and a lot that weren't. And I remember Caleb making this statement because I was sharing with him what was happening uh, in my life as, as part of the job and as part of some other things that were going on. And he made this statement and he said, you know, I didn't know that, Dad. And if I would have known, I would have acted differently. You know, I think that uh, watching right now are a lot of people who are going, going through some storms of life, and they're unseen. Your loved ones don't know about them. You don't talk about them. Uh, the people that you work with, they're unaware of it. And so today, I want to speak to, to those who could look at and relate to Psalm chapter 6. So I'm going to read in Psalm 6, and I'm going to read verses 2 and 3, and then I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. Verse 2 says this, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Now, as as I read these verses, I want you to understand something. That as David is pouring out his heart here, you're going to see that he is having some mental challenges or storms. He's having some emotional challenges or storms. And then it's resulting in physical challenges or storms. Watch this. In verse 3, it says, My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Whenever you see the word soul in, in scripture, um, it is talking about you as a person, all right? You, you may hear um, body, mind, and soul. Uh, the soul is what's going to separate from our body one day. When you take your last breath, the, the soul uh, separates, and that is what is going to spend eternity. And that's what David's talking about, my soul, who I am. It's troubled, and it, not, not just that it's troubled, but that it's um, always troubled. 1 well, verse 6 and 7 says this. I am weary with my moaning. Now, I, I can re- relate to moaning because my back got hurt uh, in a, a training drill. Um, it was a Humvee rollover training, and this was part of uh, being in Afghanistan. And so um, there's mornings where I wake up, and as I'm uh, getting out of the bed, if you were in the room, you could hear, oh, I mean, it's that kind of moaning. Well, David's talking about that too, and it may not have been physical. You know, here he's talking about, I'm weary with moaning. I mean, he's tired of moaning all the time, thinking about, I mean, what's going on in his head, and then it just comes out with a grunt or uh, some kind of a guttural sound. He goes on. He says, every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Now, I, I want you to, Realize this, that he, he says uh, he floods his bed with tears and he drenches his couch. And what he's saying is all night and all day, this doesn't leave this. The problems that I have, they stay with me no matter where I'm at. In verse 7, it says this, my eyes waste away because of grief. You know, when I read that, I think of that thousand yard stare sometimes that uh, I see people with I've um, had before where you're in a room. There's other people there. There's a conversation going on, but, you know, you're not looking at anything in front of you. You're not even looking at the wall. It's just like you're looking far into the distance. And so as, as David says, my eyes waste away because of the grief. You know, there's the emotional impact. It grows weak because of all of my foes. I wonder what would, if you could write a Psalm, what would your Psalm 6 read like? Would it be, this COVID isolation is just getting to me. You know, I I, I miss my family. I miss my friends. um, I feel isolated. Maybe it's, you know, something going on at work, and there's a particular person at work that just You know they getting on your nerves, and you spend all night thinking about that relationship and about the next confrontation that is going to happen. How would you write your own psalm? What would it read like? Well, I want to today as we go into uh, the storms of life. I want to remind you that there's there's four things about every storm that are the same. All right, and the first one is this: that even our unseen storms are inevitable. They're going to happen. If you got a pulse, you're going to, matter of fact, I'm, I'm convinced of this that probably everyone watching this right now are experiencing unseen storms. Storms that are in your head, in your mind, uh, that you are playing over and over again. I heard Billy Graham make this quote, and he said, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap character, sow character, and reap your destiny, well, I, I understand this, that right now, every one of us is living our destiny, you know, when we think about destiny, we think about once we're gone, and, and, and the way people look back on us, that's what our destiny is, but I'm here to share with you, that your destiny is what you are living right now, so if you are, if, if this isn't the destiny that you want, something's got to change, because if you don't change it and, and you were to leave this earth and, and go into eternity, who you are right now, that's what people are going to remember. So unseen storms are inevitable. And I want to share with you an example of an unseen storm that I had that my wife was completely unaware of, but yet I allowed it to affect us. And it involves a store called Qdoba. I don't know if you've ever eaten there, but I like going in. You go in and... Uh, they make burritos. I think seems to be the, the main thing, and um, I, I I love having a steak burrito with rice, and then uh, put some queso on that. I'm, I'm I'm starting to drool here just thinking about that. So I love going to Cudoba, and then I remember um, I stopped loving going to Cudoba, and here's why. Because my wife, and you know, if you know my wife, I mean, she is as sweet as and gentle. Um, as a person that God has put on this earth. And, and Carrie and I are different in that um, I'm a morning person. You know, I can wake up at four or five. Matter of fact, when I was going through seminary and I was finishing up my, um, you know, 20-page papers, it was easy for me to wake up at two or three in the morning and, and get more done before it was time for me to go to work than I could if I would have spent seven hours from five o'clock till midnight the day before so as a morning person, it was just, I mean, it, it's easy. I love doing this. Carrie, not so much. She's not a morning person. And she, uh, it's funny, we got these DNA results and we were looking and, um, you know, cause sometimes they just tell you things that are very obvious to us. And, and it surprisingly said that she should be more of a morning person than she is. But um, in this season of life, she, she was not a morning person. You know, she did not want to wake up at five o'clock uh, she did not want to go to the gym and work out with me. She, uh, she enjoyed her sleep. Well, um, her and a friend decided that they were going to run a half marathon. And as part of the training for that, they needed to get together. And the only time that their calendars would work out was I think it was like 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And every morning, Carrie was wake. her alarm would go off, she would wake up, She would get dressed, go out and go uh, run with her friend. And um, this happened over, this was over a couple of months. And then I remember that uh, one day her and her friend went to Qdoba for lunch. And after that, I did not want to go to Qdoba anymore. I love Qdoba. This was the unseen storm that was going on in my, my head. And because I felt offended because my wife, who would never, ever get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the gym with me, was getting up at 5.30 and running with uh, her running partner who was going to do a half marathon with her in a few months. And my wife was clueless to this. When I shared this story with her, I mean, even right now as she's watching this, I know she's got this big grin on her face like, you know, what in the world were you thinking? I want to tell you that many of you are experiencing similar unseen storms. And your closest friends, your family, they're looking at you like, what are you thinking? Let me kind of pull this together. Here's why we have unseen storms and why they are with us. No matter where we're at in our life. John 10.10 says it this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus finishes that verse with this. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The reason why we have unseen storms is there is an enemy. The, the Bible calls him the thief. And when he comes into your life, his only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy what you've got. He just wants to ruin. If you're happy, he, he wants you to be unhappy. If something is going good in your life, he wants to take that away. Because usually when things are going good in your life, it's easier for you to have a strong relationship with the Lord. And when um, the thief is stealing, killing, and destroying, and that's what we focus on, it's easy for us to walk away from the Lord. It's easy for us to spend a season where, you know, we're not in church, where we're not reading our Bible, where we're not going to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And so when I think of the fact that, you know, unseen storms are inevitable, I think of this, and that is that unseen thoughts produce visible Consequences. See, you sow a thought, you reap an action. And those actions that you reap are what we call consequences. They're visible. They're storms. What's interesting is that, um, you know, Proverbs 23, 7 says it this way, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what we think about all day long, that's really who we are. You know, we, no matter what image you portray to somebody the true you eventually comes out. And so our unseen thoughts produce visible consequences. And these consequences are twofold. One is an emotional result of these thoughts, this unseen storm that's going on in our head. And the second one is physical results. And and here's what I find fascinating is that our body does not know the difference between what we're thinking about and what is actually like happening right now so, for example, if you got cut off in traffic yesterday or, or seven years ago, and you think about that right now, you have the same physiologic response. You know, you might have uh, blood vessels that start popping up. You know, you might find your, your pulse increased. You might find a little bit of anger, like, you know, grabbing onto that steering wheel, and, you know, trying to cut them off. Why? Because your body doesn't know the difference. And so when we um, ruminate on these thoughts... Eventually, they produce visible consequences. And, and more often than not, those visible consequences aren't healthy unless we learn how to um, channel our thoughts in a healthy manner. And I want to show you, uh, kind of give you an answer behind of what's going on. So, for example, when you think about losing something, so that's the thought, now, whether the something that you're thinking about that you lost is big or small, I mean, it could be your favorite pin. It could be a remote control for the TV in your house. It could be a loved one that passed away recently or even a couple years ago. When you think about losing that, the emotion, the emotional consequence, remember it's twofold. There's an emotional and a physical. The emotional consequence is sadness. All right. Now, when I talk about sadness, I need to share with you there's a lot of synonyms for sadness. Because you know when, when I'm sad and somebody else is sad, we, we look totally different. Here's why. Because someone else, when, when they say the word sad, they may mean disappointed or homesick or isolated. But look at these synonyms here that I'm showing you. A gloomy, dejected, distraught grief. What determines if you're disappointed or if you're in outright grief? Well, it depends on how you're thinking about that. I think about um, being uh, with the grandkids and trying to find the remote for the TV. You know, there's 25 remotes in that house. And for whatever reason, our youngest grandson loves playing with them. And when he's done playing with them, he likes hiding them. And so if there's a show that I'm wanting to watch, um, immediately and I can't find the remote or one of the grandsons, they're, they're, they're needing to watch something, I'm trying to get it pulled up for them, I can't find the remote. And so I may go from being disappointed that I can't find the remote to outright distraught because I'm trying to get this, uh, what they're wanting in, in front of them. Well, no matter where you're at on that synonym chart, you're going to have a physical response, which pretty much corresponds to the level of the word that you're, you're using when you talk about Sadness. But the overall general direction of a physical response to sadness is this. We withdraw. Think about that. You lose a loved one. um, You don't want to spend the next weekend going out with your friends and celebrating. You know, you're spending usually a week, 10 days, a couple of weeks where uh, you're mourning. And typically in that mourning season, uh, you're withdrawn. You're by yourself. You're going through pictures and thinking about the, the great memories that you had with them. If it's uh, something as simple as the remote, you know, uh, it's easy to to get over once you find the remote or you go find another TV and another remote. How about this season of COVID-19 that we're in? Many people are experiencing that isolation. They've lost something. They've lost the time with their family. They've lost time with friends. Uh, I think of uh, one relative right now that a very close friend is in the last weeks of her life. And, and and they can't get together and see each other because of the restrictions. And I know she's going through this emotion of sadness. Many of you, uh, just like I, want to be here at church together again. And because we're isolated, because of the shelter in place, you know, we're somewhere on that spectrum of sad. Well, let me talk about another thought that we might have. Maybe we have a thought about in, impending danger something bad is going to happen and there's nothing I can do about that the natural emotion for uh, impending danger is to worry but let's talk about the synonyms of worry I mean worry can be as simple as edgy or you have apprehension all the way up to um, fear or a full-blown phobia What's the difference in feeling uneasy about something that bad might happen to you and having an outright phobia? I think of snakes. All right, um, I've seen this. Uh, matter of fact, uh, earlier this week on Facebook, someone had posted a picture of a snake and they said, "What kind of snake is this?" And I love some of the comments. They're like, "It needs to be a dead snake," um, and you know, the only kind of good snake is a dead snake. Well, if if I see a snake, unless it is going to imminently harm one of my family members, I'm running gone, out of there. There's, there's just no way I'm going in the direction of a snake. I think of uh, the crocodile hunter when, you know, uh, I couldn't believe you're the crocodile hunter. Why are you handling snakes? Go stay with something safe like crocodiles. Well, depending on how we look at things, you know, we may be uneasy about it or we may have a fear or phobia. And here's what's interesting, the physical reaction that you're going to experience when you have the thoughts of danger, something bad's going to happen, and you experience the emotion of worry, doesn't matter where you're at on that spectrum of worry, is agitation. What does agitation look like? Well, you know, you, 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 know, you might do this, your toes might tap a little bit, you might have a leg. Have you ever been sitting on a, a bench and, and somebody, their leg is just going like a mile a minute and it's like rocking the whole, whole bench, you know, you look at them, uh, I've got that look before. Why are are they doing that? Well, they are thinking about something bad that could possibly happen in their life. Maybe to them, to somebody that they love. And they are experiencing this emotion worry and the physical reaction is agitation. Uh, Agitation may look like pacing back and forth. There's a lot of different forms for this, but here's what's guaranteed. If you're thinking about danger... Ultimately, it's going to result in a physical agitation to you. How about this thought? Your rights are violated. If you believe that your rights are violated, you are going to experience an emotion that most men are very intimately familiar with, and that is anger. All right? Now, let me show you the, the different um, synonyms for anger. I mean, anger could be as simple as jealous or bitter, all the way up to vengeful, wrath, or rage. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 and verses 26 and 27, it says, be angry and do not sin. I want you to think about that. Be angry and do not sin. That doesn't seem like an easy feat. But if the Bible's telling us that we can be angry and not sin, obviously it's possible. But I love what it does here in verse 26. It tells us um, what to do, be angry, and then it says what to avoid do not sin and then it gives us the answer why or how and that is let not the sun go down on your wrath now i've had that verse quoted i've uh, talked about this in anger with with other people why does the bible tell us to let not the sun go down on our wrath i mean is there something special that happens if you um give up your anger right before the sun sets no I i don't think that that's it Um, I believe that the reason why the Bible tells us to let not the sun go down on your wrath is, have you ever gone to bed angry? Have you um, been laying there in bed and just fallen asleep in about three minutes when you go to bed angry? No, you don't. What happens? You end up replaying that over and over and over again. And, and three minutes becomes three hours. And three hours, next thing you know, it's the morning. And when you've thought about whatever that was that, that, that your right was violated, when you wake up the next day, you don't wake up in a healthy state. You don't wake up and ready for the day. Oh, I just can't wait. You know, you wake up picking up right where you left off when you fell off to sleep eventually. I like what verse 27 in Ephesians 4 says, and it it says, let not the sun go down on your wrath in 26 and in 27, it says, thereby giving an opportunity to the devil. That's why we don't, we need to let it go. You you may be asking this, well, how do I do that? Well, if if you think about your rights being violated, that's what's making you angry. We have to be willing to give up our rights. You know, that might be a, a step too far for many of you but until you're able to give up your rights you won't be able to control your anger. Jesus did that. You know, he left heaven, he was rejected by his hometown, he was re- rejected by the religious leaders. And yet the Bible tells us that he looked to the cross with joy. So when our rights are violated, We experience anger, no matter whether it's jealousy or all the way full-blown rage, the physical reaction is to attack. Now, many of you think that, you know, uh, my mom, I've never seen her attack anybody, but I've seen her angry. And I would tell you that you may just not be looking at the same. Just like there are synonyms for the word anger, there are synonyms for the word attack. You know, the attack could be verbal. The attack could be, you know, slapping a, a table. The attack could be hitting the um, steering wheel. The attack could be, uh, the attack could be waving uh, uh, to the person who just cut you off in a way that's unprofessional. Uh, um, the attack, I, I think about an attack that I received. I was a referee for Upwards Football. Uh, just down the road in O'Fallon, at first Baptist Church O'Fallon, we had have a, um, a football program, And so I was a referee, and I remember on those Saturdays, um, I would be, you know, run along the sideline, and the sweetest little ladies sitting behind me weren't that sweet. Because if I missed a call, like somebody knocked their grandson or granddaughter down the things that they said to me, like, oh, you need glasses. I mean, these were sweet little ladies. I mean, people that I hug the next day, you know, or, or last Sunday. And when, when their grandson or their son or daughter or whoever it is gets, um, their rights violated, they take that on and then they attack. And, and so the attack could be physical, it could be verbal, it could be not an actual attack on an individual. It could be on an object in the room. Men, punching holes in walls. That's an example of getting angry and attacking. You know, so you don't want to punch that person or uh, that thing. So you punch a hole in uh, sheetrock and, and, and put a hole in there. You know, let's keep on going on different thoughts. How about if you, you're thinking about that you wronged somebody? You did something to somebody and, and you hurt them. The natural emotion for you to experience is guilt. And when we look at the synonyms for guilt, we see things from uh, invalidated or snubbed all the way up to where you feel mortified or disgraced. Really depends on how are you looking at that? How are you judging your actions and how responsible you were for that? The natural physical reaction, when we think about that we wronged somebody and we experience that guilt, the natural physical reaction is to apologize. I mean, have you ever been there? Have you, um, you know, you did something. You said something to a friend, a relative, or somebody at work, and it hurt them. You could see it hurt them. And, And you want to apologize. But there's this pride in you. And you go back to where, well, you know what? They, and then violated your rights. And so you justify. And here's what's interesting. Until your guilt overpowers the pride or the anger that you're feeling, about their action that caused you to hurt them, you'll never apologize. But once you get to that, that, uh, the level where you're able to apologize, um, then you feel like you just a load just got taken off your shoulders. It's, it's no accident. Here's another thought pattern. If you believe that you don't measure up, you think that for whatever reason you're just not good enough, you're going to experience the emotion of shame. And shame looks a a lot of different ways. It could be from you feel invalidated or snubbed all the way up to um, feeling that, uh, you know, mortified or humiliated about what just happened. And the physical reaction when we think that we don't measure up is to hide. You know, if you looked at that first one, um, and it talks about being withdrawn when you experience loss, and then you look at when you don't measure up, you hide, and and we may think about those like those look physically like the same exact thing, but reality is when you lose something, it's external, and when um, you don't measure up, it's internal. It's about you, and so while the physical reaction looks the exact same, the thoughts are radically different. Here's another thought pattern: um, that you did something good. If you believe that you did something good, you're going to experience an emotion of pride. Now, I know a lot of times when we use the word pride, we we don't use it in a good connotation. But I'm here to tell you that there is a healthy pride. You can see this in Psalm 44 in verse 11, and it talks about in ghost. I'm sorry, in God we boast all day long. Now, you also hear the Bible talk about. Um, the bad side of pride. Proverbs 13.10 says it this way, that only by pride cometh contention. Proverbs 16.18 says it another way, "Um, before pride or pride precedes destruction. What's the difference in a healthy pride and an unhealthy pride? Well, a healthy pride is typically external. It's where you're focusing on something else. In this case, Psalm 44, you're focusing on God. You're focusing on your grandchildren. You're focusing on something that your son or your daughter did. You're focusing on something that uh, your, your spouse may have done. Or that you've done that helped somebody. When we, st- when we internalize it and then we start focusing on ourselves too much, that's where it gets out of balance and we experience that negative part of pride. What are some of the different words that would describe pride? Well, um, pleased, amused satisfied confident all the way up to euphoria it really just depends on what is it the good thing that happened to you what's the physical reaction when we experience when we think about that you did something good and you helped somebody well you usually brag about it all right now i know you wouldn't use that word brag but um there's a lot of different levels in bragging and where i see this the most is on facebook you know, uh, I saw it recently. People got their checks. What did they do? They put it on Facebook. I got my check. And um, they were happy about that. All right. They, they wanted to brag about that. I see this all the time. Parents of toddlers, when they win the victory on um, potty training, Facebook, it goes right there. And like, hallelujah, you know, no more diapers, I've never seen them put on um, Facebook when that that time when the the kid, you know, had the accident, didn't get to the uh, bathroom in time, or the clothes were too tight and he couldn't get them off uh, quickly enough to use the bathroom. Those don't make it to Facebook. But when we have the victories, there's where we go to Facebook. Now, I would tell you, if you start watching the comments, you'll see everybody all along the spectrum of what we're thinking about. Another physical reaction to pride is you plan to repeat that. I mean, think about this. Think about something good that you've done and you helped somebody else out. And you may not go on Facebook and brag about it. You may not even tell anyone else about it, but what do you do? You plan a way to repeat that. Ladies, you make a meal and your husband says, complains about it. You don't plan on making a new one, but when you make a meal and the family's bragging, like, oh my goodness, this was the best thing ever. Miraculously, that gets on the menu next week maybe even two days from now, why? Because when you do something good and you recognize that and you feel that and you feel like you've built somebody else up, you plan a ways to repeat that. Well, here's another thought lot thing that we could go to and that is like you believe that you receive something good. Now this could be a gift in a box wrapped up with a bow on top of it or it could be a pat on the back by, from somebody that you uh, value and appreciate or it could be words of affirmation. When you receive something good, the emotion that you experience is, you feel grateful, gratitude. Well, let's look at the synonyms to gratitude. It could be uh, where you're appreciated, where you're thankful, happy, satisfied, all the way up to joy. You know, 1 Thessalonians um, 5.18, I talked about this in my Facebook Live on the four wheels of God. It says, one of the wheels of God for you and for everybody listening to this is that in everything you give Thanks. It's hard to give thanks unless you are thinking about that you receive something good. It's hard to give thanks when the car doesn't start unless you can look at your heavenly father and say, I don't know what you've got for me, God, but I know that there's something good in this. And the physical reaction to be feeling grateful or experiencing gratitude is you say the words, thank you. Or you may do it this way. You may pay it forward. You may help somebody else out. Each of us are a little different and it depends on where we're at on that spectrum. Let me say the last uh, thought and that is if you believe that good things are on the way, you're going to experience the emotion of hope or joy. And let me just share some synonyms with you of of hope. Um, Optimism, eagerness, delight, cheerful, enthusiastic, excited, jubilation. All of those describe hope. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah 8, and, and I believe that the word hope and joy are, are really the, it's the same emotion. And Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says this way, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What does that mean? Well, if you follow this, you think about good things, you experience hope, you experience joy, you be, the physical response to this is you're invigorated to take action. That's what Nehemiah 8 Is saying, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I experience joy about something, you know, I'm ready to to get up and tackle the world. And so think about if you are cheerful or enthusiastic, you know, it's a whole lot easier to take on the day than if you're experiencing thoughts of loss or that your rights were violated. Well, as we look at the unseen storms and we think about um, the fact that they are inevitable. I also want you to remember this, that the unseen storms in your life, when they happen, you are never alone. You may feel like you're alone. You may not share it with anyone that you're going through that storm. And I would encourage you, you need to have a friend or a family member uh, that you're able to reach out to and just and, and, and talk about the storm that you're going through. Because whether you talk about it with somebody or not, you're going to experience those physical responses. And more often than not, um, those physical responses aren't going to be positive. And so we need to reach out. We need to open up. And, and I want to tell you this, that even if you don't, even if you're, you're going through a mental storm right now of, and, and you're at the point of anguish and, and you just don't believe that there's anybody that you could open up to and talk to about this, even if that's you, I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. Matter of fact, if you are in this storm and you feel like you're alone, you probably find yourself talking to you. And when you talk to you, you're usually talking to you about you. And I just wanna tell you, that's never good. If you're in a storm all by yourself and you're talking to you about you, uh, I don't think it goes in a positive direction. And I would like to share this with you. I bet that it's not always you that's doing the talking. And so the question is, then who are you listening to? Well, you've got two choices. Are you listening to your advocate or are you listening to your accuser? Well, let's take a look at who the accuser is. The, the Bible tells us in Revelation 12, 10, that the devil, he is the accuser. Many scriptures show that he goes before God and he accuses. He did this with Job. He did this with um, other uh, people. And so um, what you'll find out about the accuser is this: that he is going to lie to you and he's gonna twist the truth. We saw in the Garden of Eden with um, Eve, he twisted the truth. He questioned God. He told them that, no, you're not gonna die. And so what he was saying was, you're not gonna die physically but what God had said was you will die spiritually. And the moment that Adam and Eve uh, took of that fruit of that tree, they experienced that spiritual death. And now, because of those actions, every one of their children, you and I are one of those, we experience that, We, we are born into that spiritual death. The accuser, the thief, all he's about is to steal, kill, and destroy. All he cares about is to put you into depression, discouragement and despair and if that's the conversation and that's who's who you're listening to you know depression discouragement despair is where you're going to stay so how do we go to our advocate and, and well i believe this that you know first john 2 verse 1 it says this that um i write these things to you so that you won't sin and then there's this beautiful word but i, w- I wish it just in our Bibles that could be written like in 10 times print. But if you do sin, you have an advocate. Who's that advocate? It's Jesus Christ. It's the one who died for our sins. And he advocates on our behalf to our heavenly father. You see, the advocate doesn't bring you lies and twisted truth. He gives you grace and truth. And when you think about the truth that he brings, um, if, if we look at the accuser, the accuser's truth looks like condemnation. You're no good. You, God's never gonna use you. And when we experience truth from our advocate, it comes across as conviction. And you know those two things are very different. Sometimes you may not realize it in the moment that uh, the difference between feeling that condemnation or the conviction, but it's radically different in the way that you respond to them are very different. Why? Because your advocate, he wants to give you life and life abundantly. I mean, if we look in Psalm chapter six, did that sound like, David was living an abundant life. In verses two and three and six and seven, no, it doesn't. But let me read to you verses eight through 10. Verse eight says this, "'Depart from me, all you workers of evil, "'for the Lord, he has heard the sound of my weeping. "'The Lord has heard my plea. "'The Lord accepts my prayer. "'All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. "'They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment.'" Can you hear the hope, the joy that's just oozing out of David in verses 8, 9, and 10? Not so much in 2 and 3 and 6 and 7. I wonder where you're at. Are you still in 2 and 3 and 6 and 7 and and your bones are hurting, you're moaning? um, You know, life is, you're not in a good place. And no matter how the smile that you put on and portrayed everybody else inside, you know where you're at. you can get to verse eight, nine, and 10. You can experience hope when you focus on the right thing. Well, we also know this, that in our unseen storms, our faith is being tested. And the question that I've got for you is, do you believe that you're alone in your storm? Is there someone that you can reach out to? And if you say the answer to that is no, I'm here to correct you because your advocate is there. He's waiting for you. He wants to help. Second question I have for you is in the fact that your faith is being tested, do you believe that you can change? Do you really believe that you can go from um, those thoughts that lead to despair all the way to that joy where you can really quote Nehemiah and say that the joy of the Lord is my strength? Well, your faith is being tested. And here's what I would ch- tell you, that faith without works is dead. So if you don't believe that you're not alone, um, the, the faith is, is shaken. It's, it's not there right now. If you don't believe that you can get to Nehemiah 8, 10, where you can change, go from despair to joy, um, your, your faith is dead right now. And here's what I want to tell you. The storm's still going on. You're still going to bed and you're still sitting on the couch and and ruminating on those thoughts. And my challenge to you is this, don't just go through that unseen storm, grow through it. There's a great example in scripture in in Peter. And Peter, um, and there's three different verses I just wanna tell you about, I would encourage you, write these down and then go and read up up on them and watch how Peter went through an unseen storm that nobody else will see and Jesus was aware of it. Nobody else was. And then watch how Peter grew through this. Matthew 16, 17 tells us that Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say I am? And they went through this conversation and Peter said, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, who told you that? Peter's like, hmm? And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. My father revealed that to you. And then just a few verses later. Now, these few verses in Matthew 16 were actually uh, years from the, the start of the ministry to the, the time that uh, Jesus is about to um, be crucified the next day in verse 23. We, we're all familiar with this one where uh, Peter tells Jesus that, I'm not gonna let anybody hurt you. And, P, and, and Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter was mindful not of the things of God. Wow. Three years he's with Jesus. Jesus is about to go to be crucified. Peter, he didn't get it yet. And then the verse goes on to tell that, you know, Peter, I'm praying for you. The Satan has desired to sift you, but I'm praying for you. I'm here to tell you, your heavenly father, no matter where you're at in this unseen storm, no matter who knows about it, your heavenly father in the form of Jesus Christ, his son, your advocate is praying for you. He wants you to come through and experience victory. Here's what victory looked like for Peter. Go to Acts chapter five and verses one through three. It tells a story about Ananias and Sapphira. And if you're familiar with the story, they had sold their uh, land and they were giving it to the church um, and they were presenting it there to um, Peter. And Peter pronounced these words. He knew um, what had done and that they were holding back some of the money. And the words he says that Satan has filled your heart. And a lot of times when you look in scripture and you see the word heart, you can transpose it with the word mind. And so how, why could Peter say to Ananias that Satan has filled your heart? Peter knew what that looked like. Satan had filled his heart, his mind, Back there in Matthew 16, when he said, "Jesus, I'm not going to let anybody hurt you," and he pulls out a sword, see, I got got this. Peter grew through it, and Peter went on to lead the New Testament church to expand its um, impact throughout the entire world. Peter didn't let the storm destroy him; he allowed his faith to grow. Well, the last thing I want to share with you about storms is this that your unseen storm will end. Yeah, I I promise you. I I know the storm that you're going through may seem like it's years long or months long, weeks long. Sometimes it seems like the night never will end, that the sun doesn't come up, that I'm here to tell you the storm will end. And the question that you have to answer is will you have changed? Will your faith have grown? When I think about unseen storms and the fact that they will end, you know, a lot of people, they want to embrace the Bible verse that talks about receiving the peace that passes understanding. But the reality is this, if you want the the peace that Jesus, that God promises us, the peace that passes our understanding, then you have to be willing to forfeit your understanding. It's called faith. Yep. Yep. You got to be willing. Going back to you, got to be willing to give up your rights. You've got to be willing to give up the expectations that you have, and you have to, through faith, believe. And you can do the same thing that Jesus did, where he looked at the most traumatic physical event that probably any human experienced. He looked at that, and the Bible tells us in James chapter one that he looked at it with joy. He was. He did not relish the the physical pain that he was going to go through what he looked at with joy was the fact that one day ronnie tabor seven years old would recognize that he was a sinner and that what jesus had done on the cross paid for that sin he would look and he would see a guy by the name of josh tellerson when he was eight years old recognize that jesus had died for him a sinner and bring him into his heart where's your mind you know, I know uh, you, you may present to everybody that everything's okay. But as a pastor, I can tell you that I'm well aware that many of you are hurting. Many of you are in a dark place. Many of you uh, feel alone and isolated. And so when I look at scripture and I think about how it talks about the mind, you know, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us this, that the God of this world has blinded their mind. You know, many of you listen to this. Some of this just doesn't make any sense when I talk about Jesus. And I'm here to share with you that, that I would encourage you, go to our website, tbccentralia.com slash next. And, and look at that first step and it says Get in. And just read through that. It's laid out very plainly and you can see, because right now the God of this world has blinded you and you may not understand it, but how do we, how do you um, get the blinders taken away? Through the word of God, through scripture and, and read through those scriptures. And I hope and I pray that you will experience what Josh experienced. You will experience what Ronnie experienced. Well, the Bible also tells us in Titus 1.15 that Uh, Many have a defiled mind. You know, we see this. It's rampant in our world. You know, it's not new. Sin started with Adam and Eve. It got so bad that God destroyed the world with a flood. And here we are thousands of years later and in 2020 and sin is still rampant. Our minds are defiled and if you don't do something about it, you will be given over to that and, and you, you'll never experience the joy that, that Jesus can put into your heart. James chapter one tells us about a double mind. There's many people who come to church, there's many of you watching and you know what a double mind looks like. You know, you, you can celebrate when we worship today. You can uh, praise the Lord and, and get into this scripture. And then yet tomorrow you'll find yourself doing things that you would be embarrassed if it was shown to other people. You'll find yourself saying things that you know those words shouldn't have come out of your mouth. You'll realize you're thinking things that, my goodness, if, if my thoughts were known to people, I'd be put in jail. And you're experiencing what James calls a double mind. But what I want to share with you is that no matter whether you bl- have a blinded mind, a defiled mind, or a double mind right now, the Bible promises us that we can experience a renewed mind. I want to uh, read Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 23 is the main verse here, but I want to read a couple verses before that. In verse 20, it says this. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. In verse 21, assuming, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through your deceitful desires. See, we can't get away from the mind. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's verse 23. And verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I hope, I pray that as you're listening to this, that you'll look at Ephesians 4 and you'll see in verse 23 that there is hope for you. You can change. You can get out of this storm and you can go from despair to joy. You'll find it in God's word. Pray this back to your heavenly father. And just tell him, look, God, I need what you're talking about here in Ephesians chapter four. And I believe that your heavenly father will be faithful. The, The Bible tells us that his word never returns void. And so when you read this and when you embrace this and you bring this into your heart, you'll see the physical manifestation of God's word on your life let me close with this, the storms of life. We have them. We have these unseen storms. They are inevitable. The enemy is out there and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. Um, If you are alone, it's because you've drawn away, you've isolated yourself. You've got your heavenly father. I believe that you've got family members, you've got Christians in your life that if you would just reach out to them and open up and share with them what's going on. If, if I could have done that with my son, Caleb, it probably would have radically changed those many months of a stormy relationship. In this unseen storm, your faith is absolutely being tested, maybe more so than in any storm that you've ever experienced. but the Bible tells us faith without works is dead. Don't have a dead faith. Believe, look, read, immerse yourself in God's word because one day the storm will end and will you have changed? I hope so. That's my prayer. Let me close now in prayer and then lead us to uh, join Jermaine and Mallory as they... um, Take us to one last song in worship today. God, I just come to you and I thank you, Lord, for the fact that it, here in your scripture, you share with us so clearly how that there is a war that's going on, an unseen war, an unseen storm in our minds. And yet, God, we do not have to be alone through this. Lord, you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And God, I just ask that those words would be heard by those who need it right now. Those that are listening to this message that are in a very deep and dark place, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just show them, allow them to read your scripture and hear and respond to it. I pray, God, that they would reach out to a fellow Christian. Lord, that they would share the burden so that they know they don't have to go through this alone. God, I pray that if there's any out there that that do not know you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict them. God, that they would go to that website and they would read about how how do we get into this relationship with Jesus. Lord, and I pray that that your scripture would just open up their eyes and and be a bright and shiny light to them. God, lead us now as we go into worship, as we join Jermaine and Mallory, and allow us to sing from our heart that, God, you have never, ever left us alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.